off with a Bible quiz this morning. I didn't know I was going to do that. How well do you know your Bible? You know it well? How many of you know that uh, in the bulletin, Luke chapter 18, you see Luke 18 and then you see the verse beneath it. How many of you know that that is right? Or how many of you know that it is not right? No one caught that? It's so easy in this life just to see Luke chapter 8 and then read the, read the verse beneath it and think, yep, sounds good. If you thought it was right, it's wrong. There was an error made, uh, an error, a printing error, I, I do believe. So that's not the verse that we're going to be talking about this morning. This morning we want to be uh, talking about Luke chapter 18, primarily verse 18, the last part of, uh, or Luke chapter 18 verse 8, the last part of verse 8, but we do want to stay in Luke for a little bit. The Lord Jesus Christ, whose crucifixion we're going to commemorate on Friday, or celebrate it on Friday, is coming again. He came once to a poor virgin girl, a mother who uh, nursed him into, uh, into this world and laid him in a manger. And at the end of the three years, if we skip all the way, all the way through until crucifixion, after a three-year ministry, he died a disgraceful and shameful death as a criminal crucified between two thieves, but he was innocent. But being the eternal Son of God, he, this perfect man, this perfect and sinless man, once born a virgin, didn't just suffer a criminal's death. But in a body prepared by God for him, Jesus took upon himself the sin of mankind. He suffered the unspeakable wrath of God that you and I deserved. And he paid the debt that I owed for my sin against God. And he paid the debt for you that you owed against God. Jesus did that for you and he did that for me. He poured out his blood in atoning sacrifice on that cross for you and for me. And then he bowed his head and he died. They took his body and buried it in a never-before-used tomb. They put it in a tomb. And that would have been the end of it for anyone but Jesus himself. Have you ever seen someone come back alive after they were put in the grave. They're dead. Their bodies decayed. But because he is the son of God, the author of life, death could, the one who death couldn't hold in the grave, on three days, three days later he arose and he ascended to heaven again. He appeared to hundreds of witnesses and allowed himself 
to be seen by many people. Then he ascended to his father's right hand on high until his enemies were made his footstool. Men and women actually saw him being taken up from the earth in a cloud, according to Acts chapter 1. Being exalted at his father's right hand, Jesus bestowed upon the disciples the ascension gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to mankind. Unlike Islam and unlike Buddhism, unlike uh, any other religion, Jesus rose again and is alive forevermore. Christianity has a future unlike any other religion. Jesus is coming back again. Muhammad is not coming back again. No one from Hinduism is going to come back, and no one from Buddha. Buddha is not coming back either. Their bodies were buried and decayed. That's the end of it for them. They will not arise and come back. But Jesus arose and is alive forevermore and is coming again. I don't know about you. I think about this sometimes. I'm wondering, what will it be like when Jesus comes again? He will come again. Jesus will come again. Let's read, if you have your Bibles open, to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18 says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always, always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And, shall, and then he says, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. That is the title of this message this morning. When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. The purpose of this parable is, is very simple, and he says it in, in verse 1. He speaks this parable so that men always ought to pray. We never ought to cease praying. The parable illustrating a woman who is relentless in her pursuit of what she wants from the judge serves as an example of persistent prayer to every believer. And in verse 6, Jesus focuses attention on the judge's willingness to, grant, uh, to respond to the widow and grant her request. Then he tells of how much more ready God would be to answer the prayers of his own elect. How much more? 
As the widow in the parable went to the judge for justice, so the people of God cry out to him day and night for something that, that we want, something that we need for our adversary, for our persecutors. And in verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, so God will seek vengeance against those who mistreat or persecute or harm his children. And then again in verse 8, the Lord says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and very quickly and quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. So it is obvious by this question that, uh, that Jesus is coming again. When he comes, shall he find faith? It presumes that he is coming again. So when he returns in great power and glory, will there exist on earth, at the second coming of Christ, the kind of Christians that this widow in the parable here is, who won't give up until the judge grants her the request and she gets justice and who is persistent until, until the end. How many times, I am very guilty of this myself, we pray for someone, we pray for someone's salvation, we pray for something, and then we give up because we've been praying for so long and we've seen no results. I talked to a gentleman, he said, I've been praying for my, uh, my brother-in-law for so many years. I finally walked up to him and I said, are you ever going to change? Because if you're not going to change, I'm going to stop praying for you. I'm going to focus uh, on someone else who needs my prayer more. We don't see the answer and then we, we like to quit. But if you look around in the world and you take inventory today, of what's going on around you, then no wonder Jesus is saying, will I find faith when I return? And you see how many people are losing, are giving up, are losing faith. And he says, I say this, uh, in this parable, he speaks this parable, so that men always ought to pray. Why? This world is nothing but a corrupt a corrupt culture, a corrupt society, a corrupt world, very corrupt. And it starts from the very top. So ask yourself, let's do some inventory here. Ask yourself, is this a corrupt uh, culture, a culture that uh, kills their own unborn children, millions of them? The government's okay with this. In fact, the government endorses it to a great deal. That's where it stems from. The unbeliever wants, wants this. They do what? They protest. And the judge or the, uh, the, uh, the government uh, doesn't want to get weary, so they just grant a request. All the while, the believers are sitting, uh, sitting uh, at home and, and don't do our part because we know that uh, if we were to just simply stand up for the rights, that we too would be heard. But very often you see that we don't actually do anything about it. But the unjust, they do. And they, they are granted. 
So they stick together and they get what they want. The unjust judge says, I don't believe in God and I don't fear men, but hey, I don't want her to weary me, so I'll, I'll, I'll grant her request. Jesus says, though, he says, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. We ought not to give up. Our leaders are okay with all of that. The world wanted same-sex marriage, and they got it. Now ask yourself, is this a corrupt culture that we live in? Then homosexuality, gender denial, divorce and remarriage. Many churches are run by these leaders. There are, leader, there are pastors in leadership who are homosexual. Where is our culture headed? When you look at it, we're in a downward spiral, and we're going down fast and faster. I did a, I read a uh, statistics on pornography, and that is shocking. I want to just read you part of that. Out of 3,000 evangelical church members surveyed anonymously, anonymously, over 77%, over 77%, folks, this is more than half, over 77% view porn at least monthly. 52, this is shocking, 52% of which are pastors and view it monthly. The average age of exposure to porn is 11. 11 years old. 68 million porn searches daily. Million. 68 million. 2.5 billion pornographic emails sent daily. That's 8% of all emails sent and receive. Every 30 minutes, a new porn video is uploaded in the, on the internet. Every second, every second, 30,000 people click on a, on a porn video. Every second, 30,000 people. So, second one, two, that's 60,000, that's 90, and it goes on and on. Every second, right now, as we speak, Ask yourself, do we live in a corrupt culture? Is this a corrupt culture? And we wonder, Jesus says, will I find faith when I return? The answer to, to these questions, unless, unless you're in the, you, you yourself are an unprincipled person, the answer is yes. We are living in a corrupt uh, culture. A terribly corrupt and a wicked society is what it is that we live in today. 1 John 5.19, the last part of it says, The whole world lies in wickedness. And by the whole world here, he means all mankind. We're in, we're in wickedness. Jeremiah calls it a, a heart condition. It's a heart issue. He says in Jeremiah 17.9 we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then in Matthew thirteen fifteen, Jesus says, 
For this people's heart has grown callous. They hardly hear with their, with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. So we don't listen anymore, and we've turned our backs on His Word. We've closed our eyes. We've shut the doors. You know, when we, uh, when we think that, uh, that we've got it all figured out, we don't, need, uh, we don't need someone else's guidance. I've got this. We, uh, we think that we don't need the Lord. We're busy. This is what happens. Our hearts grow calloused. And we hear no more. Mark 7.21 For from within the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness. So in this statement, this statement says that all cultures lie in wickedness. This is true. So if we focus on ourselves, we don't even have to worry about our neighbor. We just worry about ourselves. We worry about the, bulk, uh, the, 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 the big thing that we've got in our own eyes before we look at the little speck in, the, in, in our neighbor's eye. Then we would have lots to, lots, to work, lots to work with, wouldn't we? I love the, uh, the quote that uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi has uh, said. His quote says, be the change that you wish to see in the world. So if you are the change that you'd like to see in the world, then all you have to do is worry about yourself. You don't have to worry about someone else. We worry about ourselves. I'd like to see, that, uh, I'd like to see in my own family. Then I should be what I'd like to see in my own family first. I should walk by example. The God of this world, the prince of the, of the power of the air, he is the, he is the culprit of, uh, of our culture being the way it is. And as someone had written that uh, we are in the grasp of his, uh, in the grasp of Satan. He's got a hold of us. No wonder this culture is so corrupt. And to deny the corruption for, for this culture is to admit to blindness, to be unblind ourselves. We see it all around. So what should our action be? 1 John 2.15 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in it. John is telling us here that, there are, that we're not to love the culture or the things that are in this, uh, in this culture the things that comprise our culture and society. Why? Both it and they are corrupt. We were talking about this the other day. We are talking about listening to, uh, to music. We are just talking about music. There's many, many other things. And I'm not, I'm not one to, uh, to preach on music. And I said, I made a statement that uh, the music that he was listening to uh, uh, whether it's good for him or bad for him, it wasn't up to me to say, but for me, it wasn't good. And then you become a judgmental person. And I said, no, no, no. Just that when you're born again and you have, uh, you have come from the, from the world, you no longer need that kind of food, that kind of nourishment. You no longer need to connect on those things. You have now far greater things. So if you listen to it, guess what? Before too long... Uh, your day starts to go according to, uh, to what you listen to. You listen to, uh, to, uh, to the Word of God, guess what? You're going to be edified accordingly. 
Love not the things of this world. So we need, we need change and we know that. And we can sit around waiting for God to make changes in our lives without us touching the finger and doing anything. And if you believe that God's going to deliver you from your bondage magically overnight in some, in some way, then the enemy has convinced you to believe a lie that will keep you sitting around not doing what the Word of God tells, you, tells us is required for our sanctification. Second Timothy, I love what 2 Timothy 2.21 says here. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. God will never, and I, I'm a witness to this, God will never ever change you uh, without you wanting to change. I've asked God many, many times to change me, to change my ways. He never did until I actually, uh, until I was that change that I wanted to see in the world, that I wanted to see in me. When God knows that you want to, He does indeed empower you to do it. But you got yourself in the mess and He wants you to get out of it. So we have to sanctify ourselves. And that's what He says here. He says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, as set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for good work, for every good work. So there's a massive difference between salvation and sanctification. You see, salvation is what He did for you and for me. He gave it to us for free. It doesn't cost us a thing. We can't do anything to it to earn it. It's free. Sanctification, however, is work that we must do ourselves to force our flesh into submission. I love what Paul says to the, uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, no. I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So if you, if you think about it, if, if, if God would have ever wanted to just simply change someone without them even wanting to, Paul would have been the guy that he could have done it to. He struck him, he struck him down and to get his attention. He certainly could have done this, but he didn't. I know too many people who've said, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore, but I, I, I don't have the power to do it. You know what? You're, you're not going to change. There, there, there comes a time in everyone's life that where we simply have to say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm, uh, this is it. Enough is enough. I'm changing. And God's going to say, I like that. And God's going to empower us uh, to be able to do that change. So there is good news. You want change? Then we need to make the change in our own lives first. And then we can pass it on. And sometimes you don't even have to say a word. Sometimes people just simply read you. They look at you. 
Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world. So we know this world is wicked. We know this world is corrupt. And that's why he says, hey, just don't be conformed to it. Be of the, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Don't be of the world. But by the, renew, by the renewing of your mind, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So instead of thinking one way, we need to begin to think the opposite. I'm living this, this life and I know this, this is displeasing God, well then I'm just going to think differently and I'm going to walk the other way. That's as simple as that. It's not easy, but with God we can do that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Matthew 13.5 says, for this people's heart has grown callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have uh, closed their eyes. Otherwise, he says, the last part, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. If we would not be conformed to this world, if we wouldn't be so about the world's things if we would be more about God's things. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. Then we would hear with our ears and we would see with our eyes and we would understand with our minds and God would be able to be the one that would heal us. And we wouldn't have this issue that we have today. And then I, I hear people sometimes say, you know what? That may work for somebody. That this just isn't working for me. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're you're watching here somewhere, and you're thinking, "Now, for me, this is this is really not not going to work because I've done too many things. I've I've committed so many sins, and I've done so many dumb things that I'm just ashamed of even speaking to anyone about. You've sinned too much." You want good news? I'll give you good news. You remember the story in Mark? I believe it's in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus is eating with uh, Levi, the tax collectors, sinners, many people, his disciples. He's, uh, he's, he's eating there with them and then the, uh, the Pharisees, the, the leadership comes in there and they see all this here and they're wondering. And so they, they talk to the disciples and say, hey, how come he's... He's eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus overhears this and in the 17th verse of Mark chapter 2, he says, On hearing this, Jesus told them, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Good news. You think that you've sinned too much. You think you've gone too far. You think that there is absolutely no hope for you. Guess what? He came for you, exactly for you. I believed for many, many years. I was 30 some, 35 years old, and I still thought that I was going to hell. I'd been baptized. I'd been married. I had children, and I, life went on, and I still thought that I was going to hell. Just, that was just a thing. There's no way that God, could have, that God could save a guy like me. Impossible. But when I humbled myself and said, well, if you can do that for the world, then, then you can certainly do that for me. 
It's the day that He came and changed my life. He came not for the, for the righteous, those who uh, think they've got it. He came for me. He came for you. He came for those who have sinned so much. He came for you. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the, for the healthy. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous. I come for you. But sinners, he says. If you're here today and, you don't have, uh, and you're not sure that you have eternal life, then I want you to know this. He came for you. There's no reason that you need to live another day without the security of salvation. There's no reason for you to continue to believe a lie that you've sinned too much. That He didn't come for you. That He came for somebody else. <laughs> just for you, this is just not it. Then today is the day of salvation. And He says, harden not your heart. If you hear His voice today, is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you're struggling in an area of your life, know that He came for you as well. He, didn't, he comes for those of us who are troubled, for those of, us, uh, those of us who are struggling, for those of us who are lost, for those of us who are going to admit that we need Him. He came for. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. If I guarantee you, if during the day you had trouble and you were to simply take Him at His word, and we threw our cares on Him, I, I, I dare say we'd have a better day. And I wasn't going to share this, but I'll throw this in here. If, if how your day starts determines uh, how you're going to finish your day, then today I wouldn't be up here. Then This morning, I certainly wouldn't be up here. Then, then I would have stayed home. Then my day would be ruined. But it's not. I will share with you what it is. It's embarrassing. So, I, uh, so we have our laneway prepared for, uh, for concrete. So there are stakes in the, in the ground. And I back up and I didn't, didn't see it there. Make a right turn and I heard a scraping noise. It backed up and it sounded even worse. And I go outside and I've got, and if you go outside, you'll see our vehicle standing there. And it said, oh no, what happened to the front? The whole white piece, the whole thing stripped all gone, probably a couple of thousand dollars worth of damage. I love that thing. But that doesn't, de that doesn't determine, my, uh, determine my, uh, uh, my day. My cares are being taken to the cross. He cares for me. He, he doesn't care about my vehicle, but He cares for me. He cares for me a lot. And my concern isn't for those things. My concern is, how am I going to be affected by this? Am I going to, am I going to, uh, is my day going to go according now or what? That's the thing there. Cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. We think that some of the bigger things, like, like big things that He cares for. No, He cares for the little things just as well. He, he's a God who cares for you. If your little pinky hurts, He cares for that. He created it. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
I heard a pastor speak and he said, if you think that you can be forgiving without confessing your sins to men, he said, you're wrong. It can't be done. God will not, you can't go through the air. You have to go through a priest. But I want to tell you that I'm so, so blessed to know that we don't have to go through a priest. The priest can't forgive you your sins anyway. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We confess our sins to Almighty God. He's the only one that can forgive them. Yes, the Bible says that we ought to confess uh, uh, with one another so that we can uh, be edified, that we can help one another and all that kind of thing. Yes. But the forgiveness of sin is only the Father. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can come to Him just as we are. I've always wanted to come to Him and, and clean myself off first and you know, make, make sure I'm presentable. And then, that day never comes. You can die and that day never would come. You need to come to Him as you are. As you are. And He does the work in your life. After all, that's what He came for. He came to die for you. Why? So that you could live. So that you could live. That's why. So that you could live. You and I could live. If you don't want to come to Him for the cleansing, what's the point of Jesus' death for you? What's the point? If you don't want to use Him, what's the point? It's pointless for Him to have died on the cross for you. In vain. He's the doctor. It's free. He came for you and for me. In fact, I've said this before. Jesus had a choice to make, and we read this in the Bible, that He could have called legions of angels to deliver Him. But He considered the cost. And he knew that He would then have to live without you if He chose to be delivered. And He said, no, I'd, I'd rather choose to die because I want Him and her to live. I want you to live. And he chose to die so that you and I could have life. In Ephesians, uh, when, you, when, you, uh, when you think of this uh, race that we're in, Ephesians is the, is the passage that I love to go to. We, we, we run this race and we have struggles and things are, that are bothering us and whatnot. But here's what, what Ephesians 6, 10, 11 says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. That's how we do it. That's how we get this, uh, this race run. This race won. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because you will be up against the devil. You are up against the devil. Whether you know it or not. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The enemy is seeking whom he may devour. He will never stop that until you take your last breath. But remember, we're living, although we're living in an evil world, in a corrupt society, but the firm rock 
of our salvation is, is still our Lord Jesus Christ, who remains immovable and is the basis for our faith. He says, when I come, will I find faith? He's the basis for our faith. And Jesus shares this parable and he says, uh, so that we would always pray. So we cannot ease off. We cannot rest. So why is prayer so increasingly important in the last days, even today? What things discourage you from praying more than you do? I heard somebody say the other day that uh, my prayer life is down to tubes. It's, it's, it's just, I can't pray. Uh, I don't pray like I used to pray. I, I just don't know. I just don't have the desire to pray. And I know that uh, uh, it is very easy for us to, uh, to stop praying. And then the more we don't, the more we don't want to. The more we don't feel like it. But he says, when I come back, when I return to earth, will I find faith? So if Jesus were to come today, would he find faith in your heart today? This Jesus whose crucifixion we are about to celebrate on Friday will come again. And when he does, will he find faith? So I just want to read a couple of verses here in conclusion. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race is marked out for us already. We don't have a choice. We already, we, we're in the race whether you like it or not. We're in the race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He will come again. And He'll come for you and He'll come for me. The question is, that's a guarantee, but the question is, shall he find faith? Shall Christianity, in, shall we still believe in that? Shall we still believe in Jesus Christ when he returns? Do we have enough faith? Let's just close and pray. Gracious Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you, Lord, for for giving your life so that we could live, so that your children could live. Thank you for the atoning sacrifice of your blood. Thank you, Father, for cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for forgiving us our sins. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today or anyone listening today who is not sure of their salvation, that you would manifest yourself in, in their lives in such a way where they, they would receive you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that, uh, that you will have your way with your, with your children, especially in the last days that we're in right now. 
Father, I pray that you will empower us to be that change that we'd like to see in the world. I pray, Father, that you will be honored and you will be glorified by, uh, by your children. I pray, Father, that as, uh, as your son returns, as you return to earth, that you shall find faith in your believers, in our lives. Empower us to that end in the name of Jesus. Amen.